Welcome to Circuit Break from Macrofab, a weekly show about all things engineering, DIY projects, manufacturing, industry news, and design derbies. We're your hosts, electrical engineers, Parker Doman and Stephen Craig. This is episode 417. Circuit Break from Macrofab. So, Stephen, do you know what a design derby is? No, Parker. Let me know what a design derby is. That's what we're going to call contests on this podcast now. <laughs> so we have a contest coming up. We do have a contest. Uh, we haven't done a contest since I checked 2019, where we did the useless machine. That was really, really fun. I, I enjoyed that. And it just, that seems like yesterday. I'm actually surprised that it's been that long since we've done one. Yeah, it's been almost five years. I think COVID kind of made it a little difficult to do something like that. Yeah, that and it just, that was around the time where you moved up to Denver and stuff. So kind of collaborating on stuff like that was really hard to do as well. Sure. But yeah, so we have a new contest. The topic or not topic, I guess the theme is food, food devices. I'm really excited. So, so how are we defining food devices, Parker? So it's going to be basically any electronic device that people design a project or anything that just has food related to it. So some examples I came up with, it's like cooking automation, barbecue controllers, automatic hydroponics or herb gardens. Is it herb or herb? Uh, it's, it's herb. Okay. That's what I thought. <laughs> I, there's actually there's actually a guy totally randomly that I'm working with right now a, a a vendor I'm working with where the salesperson's name is Herb and I have to I like I have to pause and like make myself say Herb every time I talk to this guy it's actually kind of hard so yeah food food related basically the entries you're gonna have to enter on our discourse form.macfab.com. There's going to be a link in the show notes where you can just click and it'll show you where to enter. But we also have prizes. That's like the only reason to enter these things, right? <laughs> well, and 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 the fun of doing it. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> and the prizes are better than just bragging rights. Exactly. So we have over $5,000 in cash prizes to split up over the winners. We have a themed trophy that is not designed yet <laughs> gotta do that part as per usual we'll get close to the end and be like oh my god we gotta do something <laughs> yeah and we're gonna give out trophies to all the winners this time whereas last time the uh, the first contest was blinking the led and we didn't give away any trophies and then the useless machine we gave away a useless it was a useless clock that told the weather on mars yeah it was awesome it was all custom machined and, and circuits by, by Parker. It was great. Yeah, I remember you machined the aluminum. Yep. And then I spent like three afternoons polishing it to a mirror finish. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hoping that it's on that person's desk, still super polished and shiny. And telling the weather on Mars. And telling the weather on Mars. I don't know if it still works or not, because I don't know if that API endpoint still is active. No, it might not even exist, right? Yeah, because it was from like, NASA and who knows if that's still working. Who knows if NASA's still around? <laughs> I could tell you from experience, NASA tends to keep things around, but you never know. It could just be, could be gone. Yeah. So we're going to have three winners picked by judges and the judges are to be announced in the future. First place is you get $2,000. Second place is going to be 1000 Third place is 500 
And then we're going to do like the Circuit Break podcast favorite where Steven and I will pick a favorite on the podcast and that's $2,000 cash prize. And all four of those winners will also get themed trophies and then free prototyping from Macrofab. I don't know exactly what that dollar amount is yet for the free prototyping. Um, probably about $1,000 or something like that yet. So on top of cash, you also get some prototyping. Yeah, also get prototyping through Macrofab. Very cool. Yep. So there's going to be electronic projects that are just food-related or adjacent. It doesn't have to be food. That'd be kind of weird. We don't want people to be eating electronics. Please don't eat electronics. Well, like you said in your example, something like hydroponics for herb gardens. Like, it's it's related. It's adjacent. It's adjacent, yeah. So how do you enter your project? So you go and sign up for our discourse, forum.macfab.com. There is a category for contests. There's a contest category, and you will just post in there with your project. There's also a post that's like stickered in there as well. That's the entire challenge details and rules and all that good stuff. Right. So go there if you want to know all the extra little details. Yes. And we're going to run this contest up to March 31st, 2024. And I guess, so it actually technically starts today, but this won't be the day that the podcast actually releases. So February 6th through March 31st of 2024. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to uh, seeing what people come up with. Steve and I have been like trying to do another contest for, I think, past two years. And we just kind of got stuck in a rut of not thinking of like topic ideas. And then one night, Steve and I were just playing video games and we came up and like we were really drunk. I came up with like 10 <laughs> ideas. So actually, I think if I remember right, we were supposed to do something else. Yeah, we were. Or, no, you're right. Actually, you're right. We were supposed to record a podcast episode, like get ahead. Yeah. And we ended up saying, screw that. <laughs> and we got really drunk. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just go play a game and talk about contest stuff. But hey, we came up with a whole bunch of stuff. And this is one of those ideas. Yeah. So our plan is to have four contests this year. So the next one's going to be like uh, April. April 1st will be like the next big contest will come out. Oh, and I will have to thank uh, Mauser is sponsoring the prizes this year. So thank you, Mauser. Thank you. All right. Um, so with that out of the way, the con- oh yeah, so go to everyone out there. Go to form.macfab.com. Pause the episode. Make sure to come back. Go over there and just comment. That's our new community. We have 80 people already moved over to our, our form. It's quite a nice place. Everyone's really nice. People are sharing their projects. And uh, I really like when people find cool components and stuff and share it. Yeah, there's some great conversations going on. And it's been really fun to be a part of so far. So, yeah, come join up. We had 800 or so people in the Slack channel before. So let's build those numbers back up over on the uh, discourse. Okay, topic for this episode, the war on floppy disks. <laughs> I love Which, this title. Yeah, it's a really good title. So how do you pronounce that? Ars Technica? Or maybe just ARS Technica. Has an article about, uh, well, the war on floppy disks. Japan uh, government accepts it's no longer the 90s, stops requiring floppy disks. The government amends 34 ordinances to no longer require disks. So what's really interesting is they were requiring certain government agencies to use CD. Like they specify what the media that they would store information on, which is kind of interesting to think about. 
Yeah, apparently there's a, a bit of the government required multiple formats, uh, including floppy disks, CDs, and mini disks, still requiring those. Still requiring me. Uh, for Sony still getting kickbacks on mini disks. <laughs> you never know. Maybe Sony is just manufacturing purely for the Japanese government. Could be. Just to be able to store this. But that's interesting that they required all these different formats to, uh, you know, store whatever information. What was interesting though is the, it's like the industries are quarrying energy and weapons manufacturing. Like, can you imagine having to store, a, let's say a modern weapons system platform, like a, a Javelin, right? Which has like its own computer inside of it and have to store all that information on floppy disks. Yeah, yeah, it's got to be nuts. I, I'm seeing also in this article, they're, they're saying things like alcohol business, mining, and aircraft regulation. Like, that's actually, like you're saying, it's difficult to actually pare all your information down to be able to store on physical media like this. Well, it wouldn't just be physical, like, burning to CD, CD-ROM, at least, CDs are at least like 700 megabytes, which mm-hmm. wouldn't be terrible, but a floppy disk is... One meg, right? Yes, yeah, 1.44 meg. It's about a meg. Yeah. After you like format and all that good stuff. Right. So you would have to have basically software that would split everything down. I, I'm just imagining like giant banks of floppy disks in some of these back rooms in Japan. Yeah. Kind of like backing up all this data. I wonder if there's, you know how AWS here in the States where you can just like rent servers and stuff, but you rent basically CPU time. I wonder if over in Japan, some of these industries, you can, you rent like floppy disk space. Hmm. And so if you like, like a network drive that, you know, if you like drop a file in there, it goes on a floppy disk somewhere. You don't know where it's at, but it goes on there somewhere. Yeah. Honestly, the way they're describing it makes it seem that way. The cloud of disks. <laughs> <laughs> You know, if if anything that I've learned from the last year of having to read lots of government documents, uh, things, we all know the government moves slow. They move slower than you think they even, uh, you think they move. Things are just at a snail's pace. And of course, I'm talking about the U.S. government, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised if that's just a blanket statement for most governments. In fact, it's funny I was working on a project the other day where I had to look up a military specification for a particular test. I don't remember what it was. It was probably like thermal cycling or something like that. And it was referencing a document that literally the last revision was 1969. And so I was like, oh, usually when I find something like that, I'm like, oh, okay, well, there's a few more revisions of it. I just probably got the first rev. Nope, that was the document. That's still the test. Like, the test has not changed since 1969. And I guess you could say, like, okay, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But it's like, wow, okay. And it was, it looked like one of those documents that's been photocopied 4,000 times, you know, and you could barely read anything. But still, that's what the government said. If you want to test this part, go to this 1969 mill doc. And uh, and there you go. So, so I, I'm actually... At first, when I read this article, I was a little surprised because I was like, wow. And then I, I thought back to things like that. I was like, no, no, that that totally makes sense. I do wonder, though, with sunsetting the use of physical media, do they have what it takes in place to replace this? Because I'm sure they have tons of processes on how to handle all of this. 
Because it, it is difficult to handle physical media in mass quantity like that. I'm wondering how much it's going to be uh, a, a little bit of a nightmare of, uh, of getting everything switched over to digital media. No, I bet you everything was in digital already. It's just it required also these formats. Well, no, I mean, obviously it, it, it switched or not switched. They required the submission of floppy disks for particular government functions, right? Now you have to build the infrastructure to be able to accept that in some other way. I'm wondering if that's like a flip the switch kind of thing or if they've been preparing for this for like years on end. I don't know. I'm kind of worried because a lot of the floppy disks that you can buy now are from Japan still because their their government, you know, mandated that they would use that certain industries had to have it as their backups had to be on this media basically. Yeah. But with that being gone, how am I going to take my hipster photos with my Sony FD5? I mean, your your floppies are now a ticking time bomb. They will eventually die, and you can no longer take your hipster photos. That's true. H- how many megapixels? That thing was like two, right? No, that's that's way over. Oh, really? If I recall, it's like 0.3. <laughs> okay. Parker was at my house last year at a party that I was having. He was snapping pictures with that. We're planning on having that same party this year again because it's an annual thing now. And so you need to bring that thing back. Oh, yeah. It took really cool photos of that event. It basically looked like we were all from like... Whenever you take photos of that camera, it always makes it look like it's 1998. Yeah. It's just auto 1998. Yeah. But the thing is, when you look at like a camera, like let's say you use your phone and then you put a filter on it that kind of like pixelizes it and makes it look old. It still looks like a like a modern photo that's been filterized, altered or filtered. It doesn't have the crappy plastic lenses and the terrible compression. Like it's missing something. So I, I, so I now you, you're starting to sound like the cork sniffing that I do with audio and and whatnot. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little bit. I mean, I do have vinyl records and stuff, so I like listening to albums that way. Oh no, I'm just saying in terms of how you're describing like. It has to be like the right tech for it to be the bad thing that you're looking for. Well, n- not exactly though, because one of my favorite lenses on my, I have a Sony mirrorless camera. You know, it's a modern camera. It, it shoots like 24 megapixel or something stupid like that. Yeah. Um, ridiculous, you know, resolution for the sensor, the uh, pixel density on the sensors. But the, my favorite lens is. It's a lens. It's just a body cap. So like if you don't have a lens on your on the camera body, you just put a cap over it where I drilled a hole and put a lens in it from a disposable camera. Yeah. And like hot glued it in. Yeah. That is my favorite lens because it, it just works that good. It looks like a disposable. It, it, it does look like a more modern photo because it does have like higher resolution than like a crappy 35 millimeter disposable camera would have. Yeah, but it actually uses that lens, and so it it doesn't ha- it has it's physics. It's something about the physics of it that is better than a digitally applied filter to the image. Yeah, oh for sure. That you can just tell when you look at it. Yeah, it's the same thing with audio amps and listen to records and all that stuff. There's something about it 
that you can't describe and no matter how you can replicate it in a filter, you still can't perfectly replicate it for some reason. You know, kind of along this same lines, I kind of got into a little bit of, I don't I don't know how to say this without being crass, but a, a little bit of a pissing match on a forum the other day because I was arguing with people that for the most part, the construction of capacitors doesn't matter. And like the actual dielectric of capacitors doesn't matter. And, and mostly people were arguing about the difference in qualities between like polystyrene and polyester and polypropylene and basically film caps with plastic on the inside. And I basically came in and was like, guys, this is kind of dumb. Like you can, you can make an argument that there's a difference between a, a poly cap and a ceramic cap because it's something that's like, there's a voltage coefficient that actually is easily measurable on something like that. And the conclusion after days of multiple people arguing about this is for your project, two things matter, the cost. And the second thing is if you're like into the same world that I'm into the color of the cap. So pick whichever ones look the way you want them to and cost <laughs> what is in your budget. And everyone's like, yeah, sure. Great. That works. It's like you and those, those red resistors. You know, I actually dumped those red resistors. Uh, I love those. They're, they're super cool and they look fantastic, but I dumped them. And here's the reason why. Those resistors, if you go to their data sheet, they have like air quotes in, in one of their applications. It's like low noise audio resistors. I didn't pick them because they were low noise audio resistors. I picked them because they were red and they looked really fantastic in my stuff. But I actually switched over to Mil-Spec, the CMF60 resistors and the reason why is because they're actually tested and they are proven to be low noise so like i can actually hang my hat on that as opposed to just some marketing term that says low noise and something saying that at one point in time we've tested it no mil spec resistors have a military specification and a test performance uh specification that they have to meet if they don't meet that they don't sell it and they cost about the same to buy those. On top of that, a little bit of a secret about the military stuff, it is so unbelievably derated that you can actually buy smaller resistors that have bad, or not bad, I should, that's the wrong word, that have ratings much lower than you think because they're actually derated from really high value stuff. So like a one watt resistor might be labeled a quarter watt resistor because they pre-derate it for you and they just tell you it's a quarter watt. So you just buy it, even though it's actually capable of dissipating one watt. So if your situation doesn't actually require military derating, you can actually save a little bit of money, buy the military grade stuff at the lower rating and work. Just, just know what you're buying. But I, I do like when the components I buy are backed up with data showing that they actually meet this. I'm imagining now some people, some punk rockers buy your amplifiers and like they sing about like anti, they're anti-war and they have like the specifications the that there. built their amp is to military <laughs> spec. Yep, yep. One of the things I find really interesting, I've actually, I've been doing a, a we, we talked about this with James Lewis. I've been doing a lot of reliability analysis recently and automotive resistors or components. We were talking about them in that podcast. I've been doing a comparison of military versus space versus automotive and the things that go into it. And, and surprisingly, 
in the automotive world, some of the tests that are required for automotive parts are straight up identical to military tests. And one of the reasons why is because it's just known reliability and it's, there's a test report that you can just find on Google and go and do, and then you know you're at least meeting the military spec. But in many of the cases, the lot sample sizes that are needed in order to pass the tests in automotive, they actually test way more parts than the military do or space applications do. And for the most part, that's due to the fact that in automotive world, they they make a lot more parts. So, you know, in, the military might order 5,000 parts or something like that for a project they're working on. And in space, you might order 100. Whereas automotive, they're like, we're making 500,000. So yeah, their sample size- On a weekend. On, on a week, yeah. <laughs> so their sample size is, is, is a little bit bigger in that sense. But it is interesting that they all tend to do very similar tests. Like automotive parts go through the majority of the tests that go to space. They just do it in a more relaxed format and it's less strict. So back to floppy disks. Sorry, that was a tangent. Yeah, floppy disks. Yeah. <laughs> so what's interesting about floppy disks is, according to Wikipedia here, the last floppy disk ever made or manufactured was Sony. And that was in 2011. I think you can still buy new ones, though. Can you? They're just not new old stock. <laughs> I think that they might be old. It's like floppydisk.com where you can buy new floppy disks. I wonder if these are new old stock. Are, are you sure these are not just like old stock here? Maybe they are old stock. I think these are old stock. I think they just have warehouses full of flops. I like how old they have a house brand. <laughs> a house brand. I'll have your well floppies. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And they're, they're a buck a piece. And then also the other brand is multi-laser. Oh, nice. Which I don't think floppy disks work on lasers, but okay. I'm pretty sure they don't. Oh, so they do have, you can buy brand new Sony diskettes. I actually like calling diskettes a bit too. Yeah. It's kind of like, cause they're not floppies. No, no. They were early, the five and a half, which predated the three and a half floppies were actually floppy. Like they bent. Right. But, uh, didn't they, uh, wasn't there a size even bigger than that before? It's like an eight something. Yeah. Yeah. But you can actually buy brand new. I actually should just buy a brand new box of so like, Good. They're not cheap. No, but I've had problems with... So I inherited discs from my grandfather. And that's what I've been using. And a lot of them are probably like really, really cheap ones from like the early aughts. And they're not very good. Like I lost an entire disc of images from that party and that was not fun. Oh, that sucks. So... And then I took it to DEF CON and I lost, an I lost two discs at DEF CON. Of data. So the reliability is not terribly good. On those old disks, yeah. yeah. I, I just need to buy some new disks. And, and what basically I found out is that camera is usually you get like 20-ish shots before it like runs out of space on the disk. Mm -hmm. If it starts taking more than 20 shots, it's the floppy disk is just corrupted. Like the file system is corrupted and the, the camera itself doesn't realize it at that point. 
So I guess I never really thought about it, but a floppy disk is a, it's just a piece of plastic with magnetic coating on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I never really thought of what the materials actually were. Yeah, the, it's a magnetic flux is what you're reading off the, off the right. disk. Right, Yeah. I actually need to get that working because I have a, it's called a grease weasel. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> It allows you to hook up a floppy disks to it, and then you basically can just read the magnetic flux directly into an image. It's kind of like actually like an ISO, an ISO image of a CD-ROM, but it does the same thing for a floppy disk. And then you can like transfer that file and boot it up anywhere. So you can read like old Amiga disks and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And those like Windows 10, we've talked about this before. Windows 10 and 11 just do not handle floppy disks well at all. And that's why I have the Grease Weasel, so I can hook up a floppy disk to Windows like 11 and have it work correctly. You got to jump through a hoop to make it work because you have to like copy the magnetic flux image and then you emulate it, emulate the disk. Kind of funky. Do you ever remember floppy disk bombs? No. Where you replace the actual magnetic disk with an abrasive wheel and put match heads inside of a floppy disk and so someone inserts it it just spins and ignites your computer don't don't ask me why i know that <laughs> i've never heard of that before <laughs> never heard of a floppy bomb no but yeah um what's interesting about this this uh back to the article about the floppy disks is talking about japan's like their industry cuz japan in the 80s was this technological force to be reckoned with and we all bought their amplifiers and their Walkmans and all that stuff. But right now, they're ranked 30 sec. I don't know what digital competitiveness means, but they're 32nd in it, which doesn't sound like it should be. This sh- it feels like Japan should be ranked higher than that, right? Yeah, yeah, just, just due to the perception, right? It's the perception of the device like Nintendo and Sony being there making video game consoles that are in like almost every single household in America. Hmm. Yeah. But apparently this is due to like the, like basically in the eighties, a lot of like analog stuff got cemented into businesses like, like floppy disks. And that kind of just slowed down the change of time. Whereas here in America, we just throw it away when it's old. Maybe that's why we're, top of the digital competitiveness is just because we purchase so much and it's always new. Yeah. Uh, everyone's got to have a new cell phone every two years. <laughs> My cell phone's so old, but you know what? It's still going. So no need to replace it. I felt really bad when I finally got rid of my Pixel 2 after five and a half years. <laughs> yeah, you had that a long time. <laughs> it still works. I still have it. Yeah. I use it in the garage all the time. My Galaxy is five years old now. See, that thing's ancient. It does not have a cracked screen, but uh, the fingerprint reader is that's long since busted. But the uh, the screen is burned in, so I can see like letters on it and stuff. When you have uh, when you like turn on like the touch of your pin, is it hieroglyphics? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So industries that let's actually come back over here in America. Industries that still use floppy disks. I know medical devices still use floppy disks sometimes, especially older ones. Gosh. And some avionics I've seen, like test equipment. I mean, I've seen oscilloscopes use them. Yeah, I bet you 
half our listeners have an oscilloscope that uses floppy disks. <laughs> or have seen one. Let's put it that way. I bet you everyone that's listening to us has seen a floppy disk. It's it's the new save icon, or it's been the save icon, I guess. It's actually funny. My my father hit me up not that long ago and said, "Hey, on our old family computer, we found some of your files. We didn't know what to do with them, so we burned them to a CD and we're mailing them to you." And I'm like, "Okay, I I have no idea how. I don't have a CD drive anymore. Like, I, like." <laughs> <laughs> they couldn't like, just like Google drive them to you. N- n- no, no, they could not. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, cool, thanks. <laughs> that's that's sweet of them to think about it, though. No, no, yeah, they're they're uh, it is sweet of them, and yes, I'm mocking them, but uh, it is it is really nice. But now I have to figure out, like, first of all, I don't know what they are, those files. So it's like, hmm, should I get a CD drive just to find out what, like, it's like random lyrics from songs I wrote when I was 15 or something like that. Oh, no. <laughs> It'd be bad stuff. <laughs> we have to recreate some of it on, on uh, with AI. Oh, just go to AI and say, write a bad song and you'd get it. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, what? And so I'm seeing a list here of, like, Industry, like companies in the United States, like famous companies, like famous in quotes, I guess. Let's use floppy disks. So Chuck E. Cheese. What, wait, what do they use it for? Use floppy disks up to uh, 2023. Really? Yeah. I wonder what they used them for, though. Then say what they were using them for. Jeez, I hope it wasn't for, like, programming the animatronics. <laughs> yeah, uh, what, Rock of Fire Explosion, the, uh, the band that played at uh, yes. Chuck E. Cheese? yeah. That would be really funny if you if they had to literally change songs by just putting in a new floppy. I wonder how they program those. I wonder if it's like a G-code derivative thing. There's a documentary about those animatronic things. When it was like, what, Showbiz Pizza and Chuck E. Cheese. And there's a really fascinating documentary where they, apparently the factory where they made them, they just, it got abandoned one day. Like, it's almost like a video game where there's still, like, robot heads on an assembly line, and they just left them there. And this, and they walk through this facility, and there's just, like, robots that are, like, partially covered in fur and stuff. It's, it's fascinating. <laughs> no wonder Five Nights at Freddy's is... You know what that is? Yeah, it's just directly that. It's just yeah, it is it's, that. It is <laughs> just that factory. It's nightmare fuel to begin with. Yeah, it's called the Rock of Fire Explosion. Yeah, I'm gonna have to give that a watch. Because there was a guy I don't remember their name. Somebody acquired an entire Rock of Fire Explosion and started doing covers with them on YouTube of popular songs, and some of them are fantastic. Oh my god! There's a clown animatronic that is literally the worst, scariest thing. It's a it's an SCP. Wait, what's an SCP? You know what SCP is? Um, oh, you are like now done for the rest of the day. Maybe tomorrow. <laughs> well, maybe I'm just missing something here. Secure, contain, protect SCP. <laughs> what, what is this from? You don't know about SCP? The biggest conspiracy theory in all time. Oh, I'm sorry. I've... I haven't been to DEFCON in a while. <laughs> Let me know what it is. <laughs> uh, SCP is a crowdsourced copy pasta site about different creatures in an organization called Secure, Contain, Protect. You know, we play uh, this game called GTFO, 
where like you go underground and there's like monsters and there's like a virus that makes people go crazy and stuff like that. That could be that virus could be an SCP that got that escaped, Stephen. Huh. Okay. So think about that, but it could be stuff like this a crate. I w- I should make this clown like the featured image of this podcast episode. And then we will have like zero listeners next week. <laughs> okay. I'm going to need to do a little bit of research on this. But SCP, it's not all scary stuff. It's got like stuff, stuff uh, is like super mundane, but it's like weird objects that are like, you can't explain with science and that kind of stuff. It's all fake or is it? (laughs) All right. Everyone that's still listening to us ramble about floppy disks or diskettes. I, I still like diskettes. What equipment are you still using or industry you're in that still uses discuss? I bet you there's like some old like plasma cutters. Actually, yeah, there's a plasma cut. Well, this is 2004, so 20 years ago now, but I bet you it's still there. There was a the plasma cutter at a compressor assembly line fabrication shop that and I say compressor like compressed natural gas so these things were like v20 caterpillar engines that had like you know school bus size canisters for the compression vessels or the separation vessels I should say but they built all the steel there and so they would roll these inch and a half thick steel out onto this like five car garage size plasma table and person would just pop in the floppy disk and hit the big green button. Just go. And it would just fire up the whole thing. <laughs> Love it. So I bet you that thing's still running. But yeah, let us know what industries you're still using floppy disks in. Because I bet you there's still some still around. Form.macrofab.com. I think it's also like techtalk.macrofab.com as well. If you like that one. Choose which one. Choose the adventure. Or circuit-break.macrofab.com. Yeah, there's that one too. That's the original. Everything forwards to that. All right. So two questions here. What is going to be the last industrial or commercial use of a floppy disk? I think I'm going to say it's going to be a side icon, but that's not that's not a real use of a floppy disk, I guess. No, I think exactly like what you just said. I think industrial machines that just continue to work and there's nothing wrong with them. They just require a floppy. Those will be some of the last to just give up the ghost. And they're going to keep using it until the new floppy disk costs more than the next machine. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And then what is going to be the tech equivalent of the next tech equivalent of like a floppy disks? I guess it'd be like CD-ROM, but I don't think CD-ROM is going to have the staying power than floppy disk had. I, I have a thought. I think we will eventually get to the point where mouse and keyboard are like museum pieces where we will have some other form of tech for input to whatever your device is doing that it is superior to mouse and keyboard. And we'll, we'll be like, hey, you used to have to drag this thing across your desk and like slap your meat fingers all over this like button pad. You know that touchscreens aren't going to be the thing. No. Like, people already don't like touchscreens as like a thing. No, uh, but perhaps I'm just getting a little too Star Trek-y or whatnot, but maybe it's just like you have some kind of mind control. And so it's just, you don't have to move the mouse. You just think, and it's over there, right? You don't even have to move the mouse. You can just be like, think, and like the Word doc opens up. 
Right, and then you just start thinking and the words appear. Well, I guess if you had that, you could have the opposite way where you like you can close your eyes and it's like a text prompt input. Yeah, sure. So uh, I don't know. I mean, we're 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 a ways off from something like that. But if okay, let's put it this way: if something of that sort was around, keyboard and mouse would go away. Yeah, unless uh, there's always going to be like the purists though for like fighting games that still re- that still use like a stick <laughs> and buttons. That's true. That's true. Yeah. There's still there will be those people that are still playing Counter Strike 1.6. I mean, there's probably still someone out there that has floppies of Doom and use those to play it, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I think next... I don't know. What do you think is the tech equivalent of a dinosaur? The dinosaur floppy... What's going to be next after floppy disks? Yeah. Something that we use all the time that we're just going to look back and be like, that was awful. How, how about this? We're already kind of there, but hardwired internet. It still has the best latency, so... You know what I'm actually going to say? Touchscreens. You think touchscreens would just go the way of the Dodo? I think once the next thing, like what you're thinking is thought. Yeah. Like thought control. I bet you that when thought, if thought control is the next thing for controlling devices. That, yeah. Touchscreens immediately go away. But guess what? Mouse, keyboard, physical buttons on things is still going to exist well beyond the touchscreen still existing. Mm, that's a, yeah, that's a good point. I could I could see it because because I don't know I don't like touchscreens at all. And uh, if you could just think and have it do whatever, do you need to get your greasy fingers all over a greasy screen? <laughs> like no, we're already kind of halfway there with voice activation. Sure, Alexa, buy five pizzas. <laughs> Order confirm. <laughs> uh. Okay, I could get on board with that. That 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 does make, yeah. Kind of like how uh, CDs never really came back once we went to digital, but vinyl records have come back, and like that's vinyl records are like cassettes have come back. Cassettes have also come back, so maybe actually CDs will wrap around and be nostalgia. But I don't think anyone's going to be nostalgia for because the problem with CDs is they're so fragile, and I think virtually everyone hated them. You dealt with them because they were the best we had. Yeah, but you just dealt with them. We're like vinyl records. No one really hated them because there was at the time there was just no alternative. So you didn't have anything to like better. Sure. And then cassettes were really convenient because you could just, they're so robust unless you have a magnet uh, near them. (laughs) (laughs) But otherwise they're pretty robust. And then CDs just, man, they're just super fragile comparatively. Well, I'm looking for the report of the files that are on the CD that your parents mailed you. Well, I, yeah, somehow I have to figure out how to actually get a... I don't think I have a CD drive. Well, maybe I do. Maybe I have a computer lying around somewhere in the basement that is ancient and has a CD that has drive. One yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah. All right, so if you have a prediction of what you think is the last or the next dinosaur to... Sunset, let us know in form.macfab.com. We're really pushing that this week, but <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. I, I really like what we set up there. It's, it's been really nice. It's like the old Slack, except now stuff hangs around. So it's, oh, by the way, if you want the feature of like normal chat, it does have normal chat and the chat goes away after 30 months, uh, not 30 months, 30 days. Right. So there is like a rolling 
chat in there if you want to if you want that normal slack experience it's there still i mean it's set up where where chat is kind of chat about anything and then the the forum pages are specific topics correct oh yeah man we're going to get away with a sub 50 minute episode this time dang it's been a while yeah it might have been it might be like 200 episodes since that's happened possibly (laughs) so yeah reiterate we had that contest food go to our (laughs) food food the food theme form.macfab.com or there'll be a button in the show notes where you can go click and boom you'll be reading all the notes about the uh contest and uh yeah so thank you for listening to circuit break from macrofab we're your hosts parker dillman and stephen craig so long for now take it easy Thank you, yes you, our listener, for downloading our podcast. Tell your friends and co-workers about Circuit Break, the podcast for Macrofab. If you have a cool idea, project, or topic you want us to discuss, let Stephen and I and the community know. Our community where you can find personal projects, discussion about the podcast, contests now, and engineering topics and news is located at forum.macfab.com. <laughs>